Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. This is a trans-denominational podcast. All are welcome and safe here, no matter what your faith is or isn't. Hello, my name is Reverend Angel Wise, and I'll be your host. I am an ordained trans-denominational minister, director of Oblates Perpetual Light, intuitive healer, Kabbalist, and life coach. I firmly believe that the divine works through people every day to help us. These angels and saints are so very humble, many of us don't know they exist or existed. Each week we'll explore the lives of these amazing beings. We'll also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to encourage, educate, inspire, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. So be sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Shalom, shalom, everyone, and welcome to your oasis in the desert. Please feel free to park your horse or camel, have a seat, get a nice, fresh, cold glass of water, sit and relax as we spend and share some time together. If this is your first time to the show, thank you so much for finding us. Welcome it is such an honor, blessing, and pleasure to have you with us. It is my deepest hope and sincerest prayer that you find everything that you're searching for in a podcast, especially a faith-based podcast here and more. And if you're returning, everyone, thank you, infinite thanks, blessings, and love to each and every one of you for being a longtime listener, lover, and supporter of the show. It is because of you and you and you that this show is here. So who are we going to be discussing this week? How about Neville Goddard? He was, among many things, a cosmic philosopher. And what is that? We'll get into all of that. But first, show of hands, how many of you have heard of Neville Goddard? Yeah, there's a few. I've just recently, Spirit just recently introduced me to Neville Goddard. And wow, what an amazing, infinite blessing uh, for that introduction. So now I can share him with all of you. Um, and he, he goes perfectly with what we've been talking about so much here lately on the show. As a matter of fact, our show uh, on season five, episode 15, The Partis, The Four Levels. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go check that out. That is a great episode where we talk about the four levels of going deep into the study um, contemplation, understanding, and more so realization of whatever sacred text that you are studying. And Neville Goddard was a mystical master at getting to the deepest biblical levels. And, and don't let that shy you away for those of you who aren't uh, Bible subscribers. What he shares goes beyond the Bible. It is actually straight from the creator, straight light, I mean lightning light, that can awaken you right here, right now, on the spot, just from one passage. And we're going to explore his history and background today. Um, I don't know if we're going to get a chance to explore any of his teachings or lectures. If not, then next week I will have a show exclusively on one of his books that just happens to be one of my favorite books at the moment. But of course, due to copyright restrictions, I'll only be able to read so much. I'll be able to hit on the main points, which are the main passages, because he used biblical 
uh, phrases which are not copyright written, so I can use those as well and share his message. And his books are really small. Uh, the book that I'm referring to, which I'm not going to give the name because I don't want anybody jumping ahead, uh, is only 14 pages, but my gosh, it is such a power-packed 14 pages that if you only had this book, 14 pages in it alone, and had the wisdom to understand what he's pointing to, you would connect with the creator and the light instantly and, and be done with it at that point. It is, it's that phenomenal. So let's have a seat together, share some time, get your favorite beverage, curl up in your favorite chair or sofa. If you're driving, please keep your eyes on the road or working. Please keep working. Just keep listening. And let's learn a lot about the master whose name was Neville Goddard. So the article I'm going to be reading from today is called Neville Goddard, a Cosmic Philosopher, written by Harry Bishop on June 8, 2016, and also by Mitch Horowitz. And I'll have more information on Mitch at the end of reading this article. So the article reads, the words of a spiritual writer and lecturer, Neville Goddard, retained their power to electrify more than 40 years after his death. We're almost up to 50 years in a sonorous clipped tone that was preserved on thousands of tape recordings made during his lifetime and now widely circulated online. Neville asserted with complete ease what many would find fantastical. Their words, not mine, folks. <laughs> the human imagination is God, and our thoughts create our world in the most literal sense. Neville Goddard was perhaps the last century's most intellectually substantive and charismatic purveyor of philosophy, generally called New Thought. He wrote more than 10 books under the solitary pen name Neville and was a popular speaker on metaphysical themes from the late 1930s until his death in 1972. Possessed of a self-educated and uncommonly sharp intellect, Neville espoused a spiritual vision that was bold and total. Everything you see and experience, including other people, is the result of your own thoughts and emotional states. Each of us dreams into existence, an infinite of realities and outcomes. When you realize this, Neville taught, you will discover yourself to be a slumbering branch of the creator clothed in a human form and at the helm of limitless possibilities. So, yeah, if he passed away in 1972, yeah, it's been 51 years since his passing, but um as you can see here, what we're getting at, Neville uh, had an amazing gift to be able to not only mine and excavate and derive the light from biblical scriptures. He was also able to translate that into everyday human language that, you know, any person could understand if they're open to it. He firmly believed that the light of the creator is in each and every one of us. All are one and one is all. And as uh, Father Mike has talked about, especially on 
his podcast, Logic in the Bible podcast. Check that out if you haven't already. I'll have a link in the show description. Um, is that we all have and possess the power to co-create. And Neville was able to share the secrets of how to create or co-create with the creator to pretty much make your life whatever you want it to be. Now, I know that sounds quite outlandish and really far out there. And although he explains the steps and procedures, it's not easy. It requires a lot of work, a lot of effort, and a whole lot of consistency. Um, you might as well put um, discipline and determination in there as well, because um, again, in order to create something or co-create something, it takes a lot of work. It's not just something you can snap your fingers at and it will happen. But the first part of this is believing it into existence, believing it to be, not uh, believing it will happen, but believing it has already happened. And that is getting in touch with your going from your head to your heart, connecting with the light of the creator. And again, ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be opened. That's what Jesus was referring to, is getting in touch with the creator. If you ask for something, you will receive it. If you knock, the door will be opened. And we're going to learn so much more about this as we go. So we continue with the article. Neville's thought system influenced a wide range of spiritual thinkers and writers, from best-selling author Joseph Murphy to mystical iconoclast Carlos Castaneda. He now has an ardent online following connected by the prolification of his digitized lectures and books. More still, Neville's reputation is growing as his mystical teachings are found to comport with key issues in today's quantum physics debate. Yet little is known about this spiritual teacher who exerted so unusual a pull on the American spiritual scene of latter 20th century. Neville cultivated an air of mystery, which has contributed to the intrigue and questions around his ideas and where they came from. Neville Lancelot Goddard was born on February 9th, or excuse me, 19th, 1905, on then British Protectorate of Barbados. That means the British were in charge of Barbados at that time. In the town of St. Michael, to an Anglican family of nine sons and one daughter. A 1950s gossip column described the young Neville as enormously wealthy, his family possessing a whole island in the West Indies. The truth was far more modest. Neville depicted his own English childhood home as happy but threadbare. There was constant jostling among his brothers for clothes and second helpings at the dinner table. Neville came to New York City at the age of 17 to study theater, a move that led to a successful career as a vaudeville dancer and Broadway actor. He toured America and England with dance troops, 
but Neville's theater life was hand to mouth. He supplemented his income by working as an elevator operator and shipping clerk. The young performer's ambition for the stage began to fade as he encountered an alluring range of spiritual ideas. First, with self-styled occult groups and later with the help of a life-transforming mentor. In his lectures, Neville described studying with a turbaned Ethiopian-born rabbi named Abdullah. Their initial meeting, Neville said, had an air of kismet. When I first met my friend Abdullah back in 1931, I entered a room where he was speaking, and when the speech was ended, he came over, extended his hand, and said, Neville, you are six months late. I had never seen the man before, so I said, I am six months late? How do you know me? And he replied, the brothers told me that you were coming, and you are six months late. According to Neville, the two studied Hebrew, Scripture, and Kabbalah together for five years, planting the seeds of Neville's philosophy of mental creativity. Neville said that his first understanding of the power of creative thought came while he was living in a rented home, or excuse me, room on Manhattan's Upper West Side during the winter of 1933. The young man was depressed. His theatrical career had stalled and his pockets were empty. After 12 years in America, I was a failure in my own eyes, he later said. I was in the theater and made money one year and spent it in the next month. The 28-year-old ached to spend Christmas with his family in Barbados, but he couldn't afford to travel. Live as though you are there, Abdullah told him, and that you shall be. Wandering the streets of New York City, Neville thought from his aim, as he would later urge his listeners and adopted the feeling that he was really and truly at home on his native island. Abdullah taught me the importance of remaining faithful to an idea and not compromising, he recalled. I wavered, but he remained faithful to the assumption that I was in Barbados and had traveled first class. On December morning, before the last ship was to depart New York, that year for Barbados, Neville received a letter from a long, out-of-touch brother. In it was a $50 and a ticket to sale. His experiment, it seemed, had worked. Neville discovered what eventually became the hallmark of his philosophy. It is imperative to assume the feeling that one's goal has already been attained. It is not what you want that you attract, he wrote. You attract what you believe to be true. And this is absolutely true and key. And we've talked about this and hit on this, um, although lightly, in several shows, is that your world is what you see, perceive, feel, and believe. Uh, if you are always one that is believing that you are of want, never have enough, and are suffering, that's what you attract. You attract suffering. You attract um, illness. You attract poverty. Uh, on the other hand, if you are one that believes, just has that belief that, you know what, as we've talked about here recently with, uh, you know, faith and um, surrender to the creator, if you believe the creator's got you back and you're just going through life headstrong, headfirst and saying, hey, 
I'm going to go. I'm going to make this is going to this is happening now. I am this or I am that. There's the thing. The I am, which we're going to talk about more uh, either later on in this article. Oh, yeah, it's actually coming up. So um, it's important to visualize and act as though it is now, you know, the whole fake it till you make it. It's that applies here because that energy that you're channeling, that you're asking from the creator to precipitate actually comes into being. Now, it's not to say that you're going to spend uh, a week meditating, just meditating a couple minutes a day, that you are a millionaire and expect the creator to make you a millionaire. That's not how it works. Again, there is a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of focus, a lot of diligence, a lot of discipline, and so much consistency that has to go into this formula in order for it to come to fruition. But as we've seen with the perfect example, Neville wanted to go to Barbados to be with his family. So, I mean, some would say, is it a coincidence that his Brother, just out of the blue that he hadn't been in touch with for a long time, sent $50 in a ticket to sail there. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in synchronicities. I believe that everything, everything comes from the creator and is the creator and has that creator stamp on it. And as Abdullah was telling, his mentor was telling him, you know, believe it is. Believe you are there. See yourself there. Believe you are there, and it will happen. And it did. Neville's Greenwich Village home overlooking Washington Square Park. Neville grew convinced that scripture was rife with this idea that man had to think from the end. He called it the state of I am. This being a mystical translation of the name of God. Man, which is this a generic term for humans, man could attain any goal. They reasoned, provided, they adopted the feeling of it in the present. Neville reinterpreted each episode in scripture as a psychological parable of this truth. In an example from his 1941 book, Your Faith is Your Fortune, he took a fresh sounding of the tale of Lot's wife, who turns into a pillar of salt after looking back upon the city of Sodom, not knowing that consciousness is ever outpicturing itself in conditions round about you, like Lot's wife, you continually look back upon your problem and again become hypnotized by its seeming naturelessness. In his eyes, all scripture was nothing other than a blueprint for man's development. Let me go back on that statement a little bit not knowing that consciousness is ever out of picture itself in conditions round about you, like Lot's wife, you continue to look back upon your problem and again become hypnotized by its seemingly naturalness. So how many of us dwell in the past? How many of us, and I know a lot of us suffer from PTSD, from past trauma and past abuse. How many of us allow that to define who we are? How many of us allow that to cripple us, literally, mentally and physically, right here, right now. It can be something that happened 50 years ago, but you relive it today 
as if it just happened or is now happening. See where we're going here? You are believing this to be now by reimagining, revisioning, revisiting, remembering, and dwelling on that. So what are you doing? You're using the light of the creator. You are co-creating that suffering in your life right now. That's why it's so very important, folks. If you are having issues working through uh, trauma or abuse or PTSD issues of things that have happened to you, that you seek help. Get someone to help you work through it because people literally have spent their entire lives living in the past, living in trauma, living in abuse, that although it happened once upon a time, which I'm not taking away from, I'm an abuse survivor myself, it is not happening right now. This is not your life right now. But we continue to spin it and spin it and spin it and put energy and use light to bring it into now, to where we're living it. Even though it's done and gone, we are continuing to live it. So again, it's so important that you seek help if you can't work through things yourself and that you find that you are always dwelling or a lot of times dwelling in the past. Each and every moment, as, we, as we've talked about on the show and always will, is so very precious. We don't know when our last second, literally our last second, will be the last in this lifetime. So every second is so precious, so important, and is so irreplaceable. Once it's here and gone, you can never, ever get it back. So it's so important that we focus and train ourselves to be balanced between our humanness, as we've talked about recently, humanness and our spirituality, to spend as much time as possible working on our soul, working on our spirit, feeding it. I mean, if somebody came up to you and said, oh, you've got a piece of something in your teeth, how quickly would you go to get that piece of whatever out of your tooth so you would look presentable? But how often do we do the same with our souls, our spirits that need our assistance? It needs our attention. It has goals that it is here to achieve. And if we don't do it, it's a messy situation after this lifetime. And we'll eventually have to come back around and do it again. Again, those of you who do not believe in reincarnation, just know that you will have to atone for what you do not achieve in this lifetime. If you want to see that as purgatory or whatever your faith calls it or paints it, then so be it. But the thing is, and the key is, and the importance is, is to seize the moment now. And Neville actually wrote a book addressing just this. It's actually the book is called Feeling is the Secret. Highly recommend it. I just finished it recently as well. I've finished three of his books so far. As the article continues, in his eyes, all of Scripture was nothing other than a blueprint for humans' development. The Bible has no reference at all to any person who ever existed or any event that ever occurred upon Earth, Neville told audiences. All the stories of the Bible unfold in the minds of the individual person. Neville depicted Christ not as a living figure, but rather a mythical master psychologist whose miracles and parables demonstrate the power 
of creative thought. Now, I know a lot of you, probably the majority of you, even those who aren't Christian will say poo-poo on that. And that's fine. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Continue to listen because I'm telling you, folks, his system does work if you apply it to your faith. And it will fit your faith whatever it is or isn't. And so if you are of a nature faith or the Muslim faith or the Jewish faith, whatever scriptures you read and or follow, this pertains because all of the scriptures, all of the sacred texts, no matter what your faith is, all have these levels and hidden meanings and gems that you have to really take a pickaxe and put the effort into mining and getting those resources and minerals out. In public talks, Neville often made extravagant claims, such as his use of mental visualizations to win an honorable discharge from the U.S. Army after being drafted at the height of World War II. In actuality, such a sudden discharge did occur. Neville entered the Army on November 12, 1942, obliged to serve for the duration of the war. But military records show that four months later, in March 1943, the mystic was discharged from service to accept employment in an essential wartime industry. Neville resumed his essential wartime job as a metaphysical lecturer in New York's Greenwich Village. A profile in The New Yorker of September 11, 1943, described the handsome speaker back at the lectern before swooning an often female New York audience. It is unclear why Neville, a life man in perfect health, would have been released from the military at the peak of the war. Unfortunately, an Army, pub excuse me, Army public affairs officer said, Mr. Goddard's records were destroyed in the 1973 fire at the National Personnel Records Center. Neville also made bold claims about the eventual and highly prosperous rise of his family's food service and retail business in Barbados. These claims likewise conform to public records. Even Neville's tales about the mysterious teacher, Abdullah, are far from dismissible. Neville's description of a training under a turbaned spiritual adept had a certain pedigree in America's alternative spiritual culture. It was a concept that Russian mystic Madame H.P. Blavatsky ignited in the minds of Western seekers with her late 19th century accounts of her mentorship to unseen Mahatmas or great souls. Blavatsky aroused a hope that invisible help was out there. That guidance could be sought from a difficult to place master of wisdom, someone who might arrive from an exotic land or another plane of existence, and who could dispense illumined knowledge. And I completely believe this. As a matter of fact, we did a show, a series of shows, um, an actual hat trick, trifecta, three shows, on Tamav Irene, Mother Irene, back in Season 4, Episodes 17, 18, and 19. And those of you longtime listeners who remember that episode, what did uh, Mother Irene and her mother often do. They often stood at the window looking at the church across the street in the middle of the night, seeing all the lights and candles lit 
in the church actually packed. And what was it packed with? It was packed with either spirits of saints and people who have passed or and other people like Mother Irene and her mother who could by locate and be in other places like St. Padre Pio. Um, there's so many of them. And so this is something I truly believe. Can I do it? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Am I working on it? Well, not directly. I guess you could say indirectly because I, I, you know, it would be something to be able to do that. That way you could definitely be in many places to help many people, you know, that would be an amazing thing to do. But, you know, I'm still, I'm just a Padawan at this time. For those of you who are Star Wars fans know, I'm, I'm just an apprentice, <laughs> not even a novice. Uh, so anyway, um, I, again, something I completely believe in that, you know, this, the people, teachers will come. And that is a big Buddhist thing and Eastern philosophy thing too, is that, um, your teacher will appear, um, you know, keep praying, keep studying, keep that again, keep that in mind that you are going to have a teacher, that you do have a teacher and that person will appear. That essence, that energy, that spirit will appear. So the article continues, indeed, the Abdullah story, as told by Neville, might be brushed aside as a tale borrowed and retouched from Blavatsky's except for another better-known figure in the positive thinking tradition who, toward the end of his life, made his own claims of mentorship under Abdullah. The Irish immigrant writer Joseph Murphy arrived in New York City in the early 1920s with a degree in chemistry and a passion to study metaphysics. Murphy is widely remembered for his 1963 mega-seller, the Power of Your Subconscious Mind. The book remains one of the most engaging and popular works of positive mind metaphysics. Shortly before his death in 1981, Murphy, in a little-known series of interviews published by French Press in Quebec, described his own encounter with the mysterious Abdullah. Interviewer Bernard Canton recounted the tale in his 1987 book of Dialogues with Murphy. It was in New York that Joseph Murphy also met the professor Abdullah, a Jewish man of black ancestry, a native of Israel who knew in every detail all of the symbolism of each of the verses of the Old and the New Testaments. This meeting was one of the most significant in Dr. Murphy's spiritual evolution. In fact, Abdullah, who had never seen nor known the Murphy family, said flatly that Murphy came from a family of six children and not five, as Murphy himself had believed. Later on, Murphy, intrigued, questioned his mother and learned that, indeed, he had had another brother who had died a few hours after his birth and was never spoken of again. By the mid-1950s, Neville's story of tutelage under a secretive teacher exerted a pull on a budding writer whose own memoirs of mystic Discovery later made him a near-household name, Carlos Castaneda. Castaneda wove his own tales of mentorship to shadowy instructor. In his case, a Native American sorcerer named Don Juan, Castaneda first discovered Neville through an early love interest in Los Angeles, Margaret Runyon, who was among Neville's most dedicated students. A cousin of American 
storyteller Damon Runyon, Margaret wooed the Latin art student at a friend's house, slipping Carlos a slender Neville volume called The Search, in which she had inscribed her name and phone number. The two became lovers and later husband and wife. Runyon spoke frequently to Castaneda about her mystical teacher, Neville, but he responded with little more than mild interest, with one exception. In her memoirs, Runyon recalled Castaneda growing fascinated with the conversation turned to Neville's discipleship under an exotic teacher. It was more than the message that attracted Carlos. It was Neville himself. He was so mysterious. Nobody was really sure who he was or where he had come from. There were vague references to Barbados in the West Indies and his being the son of an ultra-rich plantation family. But nobody knew for sure. They couldn't even be sure about this Abdullah business, his Indian teacher, who was always way back there in the jungle or someplace. The only thing you really knew was that Neville was here and that he might be back next week. But then again, there was, she concluded, a certain power in that position, an appealing kind of freedom in the lack of past, and Carlos knew it. Was there a real esoteric teacher named Abdullah who taught Neville and Joseph Murphy? A plausible candidate exists. He is found in the figure of a 1920s and 30s era black nationalist mystic named Arnold Josiah Ford. Like Neville, Ford was born in Barbados in 1877, the son of an interrant preacher. Ford arrived in Harlem around 1910 and established himself as a leading voice in the Ethiopianism movement, a precursor to Jamaican Rastafarianism. Both movements held that the East African nation of Ethiopia was home to a lost Israelite tribe that had preserved the teachings of a mystical African belief system. And folks, this is true because there are several sacred ancient, ancient texts that come from Ethiopia. So this is quite, quite plausible. So like Abdullah, Ford was concerned an Ethiopian or considered an Ethiopian rabbi. Surviving photographs show Ford as a dignified, somewhat severe looking man with a set jaw and penetrating gaze, wearing a turban, just like Neville's Abdullah. Ford himself cultivated an air of mystery, attracting much apocryphal and often contradictory speculation, noted by Randall K. Burkett, a historian of black nationalist movements. Ford lived in New York City at the same time that Neville began his discipleship with Abdullah. Neville recalled his and Abdullah's first meeting in 1931, and U.S. Census records show Ford was living in Harlem on West 131st Street in 1930. He was also at the same address in 1920, shortly before Joseph Murphy arrived. Historian Howard Bratz in a study of black Jewish movement in Harlem wrote of Ford, it is certain that he studied Hebrew with some immigrant teacher and was a key link in communicating approximations of Talmudic Judaism from within the Ethiopianism movement. This would fit Neville's depiction of Abdullah tutoring him in Hebrew and Kabbalah. It should be noted that early 20th century occultists often loosely used the term Kabbalah to denote any kind of Judaic study. 
More still, Ford's philosophy of excuse me, Ethiopianism possessed a mental metaphysics. The philosophy, noted historian Jill Watts, contained an element of mind power. For many adherents of Ethiopianism, subscribed to mental healing and believed that material circumstances could be altered through God's power. Such notions closely paralleled tenets of new thought. Ford was also an early supporter of black nationalist pioneer Marcus Garvey and served as the musical director of Garvey's Universal Negro Improvement Association. Garvey had also suffused his movement with new thought, metaphysics, and phraseology. The commonalities between Ford and Abdullah are striking. The black rabbi, the turban, the study of Hebrew, mind power metaphysics, the Barbados connection, the time frame, all suggest Ford as a viable candidate for the elusive Abdullah. Yet, there are too many gaps in both Neville and Ford's backgrounds to allow for a conclusive leap. Records of Ford's life grow thinner after 1931, the year he departed New York and migrated to Ethiopia. Ethiopian Emperor Haile Selassie, after his coronation in 1930, offered land grants to any African-American willing to relocate to the East African nation. Ford accepted the offer. The timing of Ford's departure is the biggest single blow to the Abdullah Ford theory. Neville said that he and his teacher had studied together for five years. This obviously would not have been possible with Ford, who had apparently left New York in 1931, the same year Neville said that he and Abdullah first met. See, so this is all based on physical, right? And as we know from bilocation, which we've studied and learned about in so many episodes, again, Mother Irene, Tamav Irene episodes, the whole triple play, uh, hat trick episodes, three of them uh, about her was she could bilocate. Um, again, St. Padre Pio could bilocate. Others that we've talked about, sorry, I can't remember them right now, um, have been able to bilocate. So why couldn't Abdullah or Mr. Ford bilocate to Neville or vice versa? Who knows? Perhaps they were like Mother Irene, uh, what she and her mother witnessed, Neville and Mr. Ford, Abdullah, of uh, bilocated to some place together and met. Maybe they chose a place to both bilocate to and meet and have these teachings. Folks, it, it's plausible. I know for our minds, it's very uh, Hollywoodish. It's very Matrixy. It's very Star Warsish. Uh, but it, it's possible. We've seen it throughout history, throughout the shows we've had with this, many saints and uh, people who should be saints that are able to do these things. And these, remember, folks, all of the people that we have on the show were at one time ordinary people like you and me. But they did what? They began to focus on their spirituality, on their soul, working on nurturing their spirit and soul to achieve its goals. And as we do that, what have we learned? The more we work on our soul, the more we awaken to our soul and our spirit, the more light from the creator we receive and the more light we receive, the more things we're able to do, the more people we're able to help. 
In Akota to Ford's career, he journeyed to Africa along with several other American followers of Ethiopianism to accept the land grants offered by Hali Selassie. Yet Ford's life in Ethiopian countryside appeared so sadly sparse of records could only have been a difficult existence for the urbane musician. Here was a man uprooted from metropolitan surroundings at an advanced age to settle into a new and unfamiliar familiar agricultural landscape. All the while, Ethiopia was facing the threat of invasion by fascist Italy. Ford died in Ethiopia in September of 1935, a few weeks before Mussolini's troops crossed the border. While Ford's migration runs counter to Neville's timeline, there are other ways in which Ford may fit into Abdullah mythos. Neville could have extrapolated Abdullah from Ford's character after spending a briefer time with Ford, or Abdullah may have been a metaphorical composite of several contemporaneous figures, perhaps including Ford, or finally, Abdullah may have been Neville's invention though this scenario doesn't account for Joseph Murphy's record. The full story may never be knowable, but the notion of two young metaphysical seekers, Neville and Murphy, living in pre-war New York and studying under an African-American esoteric teacher, whether Ford or another, is wholly plausible. The crisscrossing currents of the mind power movement in the first half of the 20th century produced collaborations among a wide range of spiritual travelers traverse the metaphysical landscape with a passion for personal development and self-reinvention. If one considers Neville's philosophy, what emerges seems almost too good to be true. Believe that you are already possess your goal and you will. Man moves in a world that is nothing more or less than his consciousness objectified, he concluded. If that's true, one might ask, why has this principle been discovered by so relatively few. In a little-known book from 1946, the occult philosopher Israel Rigardi took measure of the burgoing creative mind movements, including unity, Christian science, and science of the mind. Rigardi paid special attention to the case of Neville, whose teaching, he felt, reflected both the hopes and pitfalls of new thought philosophy. Rigardi believed that Neville possessed profound and truthful ideas, yet he felt these ideas were pro-offered, pro excuse me, without sufficient attention to training or practice. Could the everyday person really control his thoughts and moods in the way Neville prescribed? In the romance of metaphysics, Rigardi wrote, Neville's method is sound enough, but the difficulty is that few people are able to muster up the emotional exaltation or this intellectual concentration which are the royal approaches to the citadel of the unconscious. As a result of this definite lack of training or technique, the mind wanders all over the place, and a thousand and one things totally unrelated to I am are ever before their attention. Neville offered his listeners and readers simple meditative techniques, such as using the practice of visualization before going to sleep, or the repeat reenactment of a small, idealized, imaginal drama symbolizing one's success, like receiving an award or congratulatory handshake. But Rigardi reasoned 
that as a dancer and actor, Neville possessed a unique control over his mind and body, which his audience did not share. Neville knows the art of relaxation instinctively. He is a dancer, and a dancer must, of necessity, relax. Hence, I believe, he does not fully and consciously realize that the average person in his audience does not know the mechanism of relaxation, does know how to let go. Of all the metaphysical systems with which I am acquainted, Regardi concluded, Neville is the most evidently magical. But being the most magical, it requires for that very reason a systemized training on the part of those who would approach and enter its portals. Absent this training, Regardi wrote, his system is in reality strictly personal. It may work for him, the journal suspected, but not others. Is Regardi's a fair criticism? Certainly testimony exists to the contrary. In 1961, the book The Law and the Promise, Neville supplied a plethora of letters from people who said they achieved success using his methods. As one reads these passages, however, another impression emerges. Student after student is concerned with ardently material goals, a new house, a new car, a new suit, cash in the pocket. But this was not Neville's ultimate aim. In a lecture from 1967, Neville drew an intriguing contrast. What would be good for you? Tell me. Because in the end, every conflict will resolve itself as the world is simply mirroring the being you are assuming that you are. One day you will be saturated with wealth, so saturated with power, the world of Caesar. You will turn your back on it and go in search of the word of God. I do believe that one must completely saturate themselves with the things of Caesar before he is hungry for the word of God. This passage sounds a note that resonates through various esoteric traditions. One cannot renounce what one has not attained. To move beyond the material world or its wealth, one must know that wealth. But to Neville, and this became the cornerstone of his philosophy, material attainment was merely a step toward the realization of much greater and ultimate truth. In the last 12 years of his life, the teacher took his philosophy in a radically new direction, one that cost him some of his popularity and the positive thinking circuit. Neville told of a jarring mystical experience he had in 1959 in which he was reborn as a child from within his skull, which opened as a womb. In the Bible, Golgotha translates as skull. In a complex interweaving of scripture and personal experience, Neville told of the promise that each of us is Christ waiting to be liberated through metaphysical rebirth. This is the true symbolic meaning of the crucifixion in which God became man so that man could one day know himself as God. Our imagination, Neville taught, is the God seed. He saw literal and final truth in Psalm 82, 6, ye are gods. And he's absolutely right, but it's just the, the, the labels, See, there's, there's where the issue comes up, at least for me, is the labels that are used. It's when you're referring to I, me, and mine, but then you're also referring to the I, me, and mine as uh, the sacred, the divine, God, the creator. That's where issues come about because when you say the I, me, and mine, it's to us, you know, in, in our circle here, in our faith and more family, that 
usually generally points to ego and ego is not um, the creator spirit so your soul is the creator so i mean something as simple as changing the um wordage of and the labels makes things completely different when you are reading this and again i'll have a link to this this article in the show description and greatly urge everyone to check it out so let's continue neville's lecture audiences however seem to prefer the earlier message of the affirmative mind of success or what he called imaginism many listeners the mystic lamented or lamented excuse me are not at all interested in its framework of faith a faith leading to the fulfillment of God's promise, as experienced in his vision of rebirth. Audiences drifted away, urged by his speaking agent to abandon this theme, or you'll have no audience at all. A student recalled Neville replying, then I'll tell it to the bare walls. So as we can see, Neville is evolving spiritually. He's evolving. And as he's evolving, he's trying to bring his audience and people that follow him along. But as we see by this, people were more focused on the I, me, and mine. They were focused on what can I get as far as for this humanness. Uh, I mean, a car, a boat, a plane, um, homes, cash, money, women, men, you name it. Anything that's related to this physical human life. And Yes, that was part of what Neville was getting at at first, because as he believed that you had to at least taste that before you could renounce it. But the vast majority of the people were only looking to him and his system for a get-rich-quick scheme, for a get-rich-quick system, I should say. And when he started switching and changing well, he didn't really switch or change gears because he was always biblically based, but he didn't often refer to that as much as I guess he should have. Hmm? He took it and shared with people as he felt he could and tried to bring them up through the levels. Kind of like what Spirit and I try to do with the show is, you know, if you go back to episode two, season one, and listen all the way through, you can hear the gradual, um, literally the gradual uh, evolution of not only the show, but my spiritual um, existence and evolution through this almost two year journey and it will continue on. But as we see, when he started using the word God more and referring to um, the spiritual and your soul, that's when he started losing people because people wanted more of the, what can I do to get money? What can I do to get rich? What can I do to get women? What can I do to get men? You know, it was all about this humanness and not about the spiritual and the soul. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what we've been talking about quite a bit here on the show. Hinted a lot about it in uh, towards the end of season four, hinted about it, and even talked about it through season five, and we're definitely talking about it more here on is that balance, that shift. And I'm not saying give up your humanness. You can't do that. But the, our humanness is a vehicle. Again, as we've used the reference of a car. This body, this humanness, is the vehicle for which our spirit, our soul, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to label it, gets around in this life. It is a tool. It is not the means 
or the goal of the existence of this soul, of this spirit, is to completely wrap around and just be so over the moon in this humanness and not focused on the spiritual. To do so is very detrimental. And next week when we get to some of the teachings of Neville, because this article continues to go and this you know, this one's going to run a little late. I do apologize, but I hope you all are enjoying it. But as we'll see next week in, in, in some of the teachings of Neville, um, that biblically, it's there. It is, you know, this is how you connect with the creator. This is how you um, get more light, become more like the creator so you can help others, do more for people. And yes, if that means, you know, helping yourself, to help others, as long as that is your your focus, is that in your intention? That's the better word. Is as long as your intention is to, I can't help others until I help myself, and once I help myself, I'm going to help others. And you do that and stick with that, and don't get halfway through it. Like I need to help myself so I can help others, and then once you get to the spot. You forget all about helping others. Uh, that happens to all too many people. You got to be careful with that because the darkness can definitely be and will be all over you as you're coming up and you're making more money or getting more money or getting more blessings and more ways to help. The darkness will work overtime on thwarting you and trying to convince you to, again, as these people with Neville. Focus on the I, me, and mine, and who cares about anybody else. When the teacher died of heart failure at his West Hollywood home on October 1st, 1972, his passing was marked only by a short obituary in the Los Angeles Times and a hastily arranged memorial service. The age of Aquarius, it seemed, had limited interest in the silver-haired seer who spoke of the human imagination as God. In the early 21st century, Neville's name would seem to be a relic, but the mystical philosopher has instead experienced a renaissance of attention. Neville's work is extolled by some of today's best-selling New Age writers, such as Wayne Dyer and Rhonda Byrne. As a result, his books have ridden a new wave of popularity. What's more, Neville's message, perhaps more than that of any other New Thought writer, has prefigured the coalesced with the current debates in quantum physics. physics. Excuse me, physics journals today routinely discuss what is called the quantum measurement problem. Many people have heard of some version of it. In essence, more than 80 years of laboratory experiments show that atomic scale particles appear in a given place only when a measurement is made. Quantum theory holds that no measurement means no precise and localized object, at least on the atomic scale. In a challenge to our deepest conceptions of reality, quantum data shows that a subatomic particle literally occupies an infinite number of places, a state called superposition, until observation manifests in it one place in quantum mechanics an observer's conscious decision to look or not look actually determines what will be there? Like, if a tree falls in the woods, do we hear it? 
For example, quantum experiments demonstrate that if you project an atom at a pair of boxes, interference be patterns prove that the atom was at one point in both boxes. The particle existed in a wave state, which means that the location of the particle in space-time is known only probabilistically. It has no properties in this state, just potentialities. The wave became localized in one box only after someone looked. Neville described man's power of creation. Similarly, thought, he said, does not so much manifest the outcome as selected from an infinite universe of already existing possibilities. Quantum theory grows still closer to Neville's outlook when dealing with thought experiment called Schrodinger's Cat. In 1935, the physicist Erwin physicist Schrodinger sought to impel the colleagues to deal with the logical conclusion of their own data. Through a purposely absurdist thought experiment, a version goes like this. A cat is placed into one of a pair of boxes. Along with the cat is what Schrodinger called a diabolical device. This device, if exposed to an atom, releases a deadly poison. An observer then fires an atom at the boxes. The observer subsequently uses some form of measurement to check on which box the atom is in, the empty one or the one with the cat and the poisoning device. When the observer goes to check the wave function of the atom, the state in which it exists in both boxes collapses into a particle function, the state in which it is localized to one box. Once the observer takes his measurement, convention says that the cat will be discovered to be dead or alive. But Schrodinger reasoned that quantum physics described an outcome in which the cat is both dead and alive. This is because the atom in its wave function was at one time in either box or either outcome is real. See, so now we're talking about multiple dimensions and <laughs> that's, that's many, 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 many episodes down the pike folks. I'm not going to get into the quantum uh, physics and quantum mechanics yet. Um, we're we're not there. We're not there. I'm not there. None of us are there yet. Uh, if you're if you're a quantum physicist, then you're there. So maybe you come on the show and talk about it sometime. But no, we're we're not going there yet. But what it's saying is that there's multiple realities. When you make a choice at any given time, and we're going to have a show on this particular thing coming up here very soon in within season six. Is that when you make a choice? Um, whether yes or no, do or don't do, you actually split on a timeline or a dimension line better. Uh, one part of you made the decision to go this way. The other part of you made the decision to go that way. So in an, another dimension, some people call them parallel universes, um, you went this way and the other one went that way. Uh, a perfect example of this would be the story of when I met Haven. Now, those of your longtime listeners know this story or should know the story, but um, a friend of mine always wanted to go out riding around, which he called cruising. And I was always like, no. I mean, at that point in my life, I was working full time, going to school full time, um, taking care of my brother and sister full time. Um, so 
I was spent and I didn't have time to just go goof around. Uh, but he came up one evening unannounced and said, Hey, I'm going to go see this girl, blah, 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 blah. And I've heard of her before because um, there were stories of her being able to out bench press uh, most of the guys that went over to her house. And this is, this is fact. She's, she's still a strong, strong woman. Um, so I was like, for whatever reason, at that point, when he asked me, I was like, okay. And I, I was washing my car or something at the time. So I just ended up dropping what I was doing. And I went with him and I met Haven and we have been inseparable since. And that was, we're coming up on 37 years. Well, yeah, 37 years this month, um, August that we've been together, but looking at it from Neville's point of view or from a quantum point of view, there was a me that said no again and just went on about my normal business that didn't meet Haven at that time. Now, those of you who know our story, Haven and my story know that once we got together, we were able to figure out that we had physically ran into each other several times years prior to us actually physically meeting. Um, so that's to me means that we were, were soulmates and it was meant to be regardless of you know, when we met up, the creator had it in mind that you two are getting together and that's the end of that. And that's what happened. And the, it's not the end of it. It's just just the beginning. But again, I hope you can see that that is a plausible example is that, you know, one, you know, at that time when he came up to me, my friend had come to me and presented this opportunity. I said no. Whereas the me that's existing now that's conscious of this existence said yes. So with each choice we make, there are repercussions for that. There are effects for everything we think, say, and do. And I don't want to scare anybody, but I want you to bring that to your forefront of your mind and awaken up. Again, how very important each and every second is, how important each and every thought um, word and deed is. So back to the article. Neville likewise taught that the mind creates multiple and coexistent realities. Everything already exists in potential, he said, and through our thoughts and feelings, we select which outcome we ultimately experience. And again, like I said, we're going to have a show coming up on exactly this uh, within this season. So stay tuned for that. Indeed, Neville saw Humans, as some quantum theorists see the observer taking measurements in the particle lab, effectively determining where a subatomic particle will actually appear as a localized object. Moreover, Neville wrote that everything and everyone that we experience is rooted in us, as we are ultimately rooted in God. Humans exist in an infinite cosmic interweaving of endless dreams of reality until the ultimate realization of one's identity as Christ. In an almost prophetic observation in 1948, he told listeners, scientists will one day explain why there are serial, why there is a serial universe. But in practice, how you use this serial universe to change the future is more important. More than any other spiritual teacher, Neville created a mystical correlate 
to quantum physics. During his lifetime, Neville never achieved the fame or reputation of his better-known contemporaries, such as Ernest Holmes, Joseph Murphy. Some of his more radical theories cost him segments of his audience, but it was his intellectual bravery and the elegant congruity of his ideas that has resulted in his recognition today as one of the modern spirituality's most pioneering and foresightful theorist. The self-taught, unfettered journeyer into the cosmic is likely to emerge as positive mind movement's most enduring voice. So that, my dear brothers and sisters, is the article. And again, it was co-written by Mitch Horowitz. Uh, and Mitch Horowitz, H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z, is a also a pen awarding winning historian. Mitch is the author of Occult America and One Simple Idea, a History and Analysis of the Positive Mind Movement. His latest consideration of Neville's work uh, and its importance to new thought is in his book, Daydream Believer. He has written on alternative spirituality for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. Mitch is also a voice of popular audiobooks, so he's also a voice actor as well. And if you're interested in checking out more of Mitch's work, you can find him at MitchHorowitz.com, and I will have a link in the show notes in description. So this, my dear brothers and sisters, is where we will pause here for now. That way you all have a chance this week to digest all of the information I've given you, or at least some of the information I've given you on Neville Goddard. Next week we will explore some of his mind-blowing, eye-opening, um, heart-opening, connecting, light-bringing, lighthouse lighting, <laughs> I could go on and on, uh, teachings. And hang on to your seats, folks. Bring your crash helmets and your safety vest because it's going to be a very amazing, mind-blowing, awakening episode. This week's prayer requests and updates are as follows. Emily and Jonathan and their family are still recovering from the loss of their baby. That was 22 weeks in the womb. Uh, Emily had to give birth to the deceased child, uh, so they're still recovering. Please keep them in your heart, thoughts, and prayers. Also, please pray for Kayla, Terry, Denise, Nicholas, Taylor, and Weston, who recently lost Haley, Maudie, Stephanie, Sarah, and Kia, Elaine, Bob, Clyde, Lisa, Lana, Megan, Molly, Gwen, Octavia, Trish, Chad, and their family, Bishop Ashley and his family, Brother Abel, Mike S. and Kelly and their family, Michael W. and his family, Tanya and her family, Cheryl, Elijah, his grandmother Janet, husband Andrew, Father Mike, his husband Eddie, Eddie's mother Becky, Emma, Jean, Kathy, Tony, and their family, Michael T., Kyra. Uh, I do have a Courtney Moore update. She is still anxiously awaiting a heart transplant. They're still waiting for that perfect heart to come through for her. And as we know, in order for that to happen, somebody must pass. So let us please pray for both Courtney and a new heart, as well as the person who passes that donates it. Also, let us pray for Jan. Uh, who is going through eye surgery, I believe, this coming week. And then she will have to have cataract surgery following that in the weeks to come. James and Linda, 
And if you are in need of prayers, please, please, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. My contact information is at the end of the show, at the end of every show. I love to pray. And those who listen to our show, The Faith and More Family, which is you and everyone, love to pray as well. So let us pray for you. So now we'll do our closing prayer and blessing. And I would like to share with you all one of my favorite prayers <laughs> right now. And it is Psalm 100. Okay, so let us pray. A song for a Thanksgiving offering. Shout to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with joy. Come before it with praise. Know that the Lord is God. It made us and we are its people in the flock of its pasture. Come into its gates with thanksgiving, into its courtyards with praise. Give thanks to it. Bless its name. For the Lord is good. Its kindness is forever. And until generation after generation is its faith. May the light always keep us on the path and help keep our consciousness positive. Amen. Sacred Zone. Well, hey, thanks for sticking around. For those of you who do stick around and listen all the way to the end, here's a little secret time treat for you. The August edition of the Book Nook will be this Wednesday at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. So those of you early birds get up in the morning, early in the morning, <laughs> you can check out the book nook. If not, everyone, it will be available when you wake Wednesday morning. Again, the August edition of the book nook will be this Wednesday, 12 a.m. Eastern Time. I so hope and pray you all have enjoyed the show and that you found everything that you're searching for in a podcast here and more. Please stop by anytime, all the time. You are family. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on whatever format that you're listening, because this will greatly help move the show up. So when people do a general search, they're more likely to find us. And the more people we reach, the more people we can help. Also, feel free, please, please, please feel free to share the show with anyone and everyone that you feel might be interested in it and it might benefit. And if you really, really enjoy the show, please consider making an offering. Offerings are a great way to help sustain and improve the show and the Faith and More ministry. Offerings can be made through patreon.com slash faithandmorepodcast. We actually have three tiers of membership there. So again, at patreon.com slash faithandmorepodcast. And don't forget about our YouTube channel. There's lots of great videos there, and it gives you more of an immersive experience. Just go to youtube.com slash at Faith and More Podcast. Next is prayers. I love to pray in our Faith and More family. That is you love to pray as well. So let us pray for you. There are two ways to do this. The first is to email me directly at faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com. The second is through our website at faithandmorepodcast.wixsite.com slash my dash site. There's a form at the bottom of the website to request prayers. And of course, links to everything here mentioned in the show and in the closing here can be found in the show description. Intro and outro music are courtesy of Lay FM, L-E-S-F-M, which is at lesfm.net. 
And the Oblates infomercial is courtesy of Ivy Music. Links can be found in the show description. Check them out and show them some love. So until next time, have a blessed week and know that each and every one of you are in my heart and prayers. Bless you.